Welcome to the Baxter Bowman Podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's podcast is part of the Hunt Elk in 2020 series, where I walk my friend and new bow hunter, Josh, through what he needs to know for his first over-the-counter public land bow hunt. It's based on everything I learned that made me successful for three out of the first four years I bow hunted elk. I've found that I'm learning just as much as he is from this process, and I hope you do too. All right, Josh is back on the mic. How's it going today, Josh? It's going good. I found my elk tag last week. That was a big move. Pretty cool moment, huh? Yeah, 600 bucks. Yeah, an investment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that hurts a little bit. Uh, yeah, anytime you spend six hundred dollars, it's a well for me. It's a big move. <laughs> yeah, well, this one, this one could not be more perfectly timed because I'm building Josh's arrows tomorrow. Originally wanted to teach him how to build them, but in the world of COVID and baby on the way, can't really take that risk. But we're talking broadheads today. So, what goes on the end of those pointy little arrows? Yes, and Baxter has told me that this is a very controversial topic, and I know a little bit about why, but I'm excited to find out more. Yeah, no, this is this is a really cool one in my opinion. You know, when I posted the article on this, by far the most engagement and excitement from guys on Instagram on the website. Like everybody's super passionate about broadheads. Um, so we're gonna go really deep today, just like Darrow ones. Like it's gonna be an intense discussion, but bear with us because it's gonna be if you pop out the back end, you're gonna know more about broadheads than you could find out in months of effort. So yeah, we're gonna condense all of Baxter's hours and hours and hours of research into every little nitty-gritty detail into this hour-ish. Hopefully we'll get it in an hour. And then by the end of it, you'll be an expert. Yeah. And I, I think also, you know, with this stuff and all the things I'm doing, I always try to advise you and guys I'm writing stuff for mm-hmm. like the 80% case which is 80% of people, this works great. 10%, you know, are below or 10% or above, right? Like, so I'm not, there is no such thing as the best for everybody's unique situation. So I always want to give guys the information they need to make a decision for themselves. So you will talk about my recs and my favorite ones at the end. And they're on the website too, but I'll also talk through like why those are good and who they're good for. So totally. Yeah, totally fair. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we start with, the two most important things uh, for broadheads, in my opinion, which is accuracy and penetration. Like it all boils down to that uh, with everything else uh, standard, right? There's a lot else, but those are the two things mm-hmm. any broadhead um, that really, really matter. Uh, which one would you say is most important? Accuracy, bar none. Okay. Um, you know, I, I guess if you had a broadhead that didn't penetrate at all, right? But as we'll get into in a minute, it's all trade offs right? Um, so in my mind, accuracy is it. And the reason that's the case is it's like the arrow episode, right? And we're talking about the amount of energy in an arrow. Mm-hmm. If you have a super powerful setup, 80 pounds, 30 inch draw, you know, you're just a beast. You're still pushing half the energy of a 22 rimfire round. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like an anemic amount of energy, just no power whatsoever. So uh, the only way an arrow works is by cutting right? It doesn't work by any sort of impact energy or knockdown power or whatever you want to call it. So putting that arrow in the right place is so, so key. Gotcha. Uh, For most people, there's no way you'll ever get through a bone. So you have to put it in the right spot every time. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah. So on accuracy, um, before I dive in, I think one of the, the most important things, and if I could phrase it a different way, is that the best broadhead is a tuned bow. <laughs> ah, interesting. Like, Wait, what? Uh, but tuning your bow is like one of the most important things here, if not the most important, because if your arrow is not coming out of the bow dead straight, it's not going to penetrate. And it's not, it, well, first, it's not going to end up where you pointed it. And second, it's not going to penetrate. Right. So since a lot of people don't know how to tune their bows, do most people just take it to a shop and have the shop tune it or? They try to do that. A lot of shops won't do it. Some will charge you. Um, no matter what they do, you kind of you also have to tune a lot of things to you individually. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about bow tuning in a later uh, later podcast. But I'm really a big advocate of learning how to do it yourself. Um, okay, you can get close. That's also one of the reasons people really push folks towards mechanical broadheads because they're the smallest profile, and mm -hmm. if you don't tune your bow, they're more likely to end up in the right spot. But okay, there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't work. Uh, super, super well for elk hunting, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the, the fundamental principle here is like you have a field tip on your arrow normally because a lot of people don't even know, think their bow is not tuned well. They're like, oh, it's, it's all the, you know, arrows go in one spot and they do. But you have two things on your arrow that drag, right? You have a broadhead up front with fins and you have uh, fletchings in the back with fins. And both of those things are catching the air and they're fighting each other Mm -hmm. control of that arrow right right and so if you have a field point in there you don't have any sort of drag up at the front of the arrow mm -hmm. so no matter how crooked that arrow comes out of the bow that back is going to catch the air and pull pull the front of the arrow back into alignment does that make sense yeah so you're saying with the field tips and there's since there's no air resistance it's going all the air is going around it all the air is going around the shaft and then it hits the fletching and the fletching is what straightens out that arrow so even if your bow is not tuned perfectly the fletching gives it a little bit of like forgiveness. Yeah. The good, a good example of this is be if you're like driving a boat and you throw a anchor out the back, right? It's mm -hmm. going to, it's certainly going to straighten that boat out. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> the same way. And so that's, that's the fundamental uh, formula for accuracy in a broadhead is the minimal amount of drag in the front. Right. Okay. So if you're, no matter how small your broadhead, it's always going to have more drag than a field point. It's going to have a little bit of drag. So if you, point it dead straight, you look down the edge of a knife, there's almost nothing there, right? It's just perfectly bladed. Mm -hmm. But if you start to turn that even slightly to the side, what do you notice? Like it becomes like a sail. It's like a sail, right? Mm -hmm. And so getting that arrow out of the bow straight is critical. Like that's everything. Because if that thing, not only will it fly weird when it does that, but if it does hit the elk like that, the amount of drag will just kill your penetration. Right, because it's going in at an angle. That seems really hard to get it, the arrow to fly perfectly straight out of the bow. It does, but compound bows are unbelievable. Like they've taken so much of the, the factors out of the equation that they're just machines, right? Mm -hmm. So if your whole thing as a human being is to do the minimal amount of stuff, <laughs> like yeah. influence it the, mo the least possible uh, way with any of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's you know, that's essentially what creates a good broadhead is something that has a minimal surface area. Now, the danger of that is the more you streamline it, what, like you could make something tiny as, as a field point, but then it effectively would do nothing, right? Yeah. So there's always a trade-off of why you've got to, you have to go a little wider to get that extra cutting area, but you need to go smaller to make something more accurate. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, you can't make the sails completely disappear because the sails are what cut through the, 
the animal, but then, so, okay. I I see what you mean by it being a trade-off between accuracy and penetration then. Or yes, exactly. And that's, it's true for both of them. Right. And this is also a reason I'm not a huge fan of the vast majority of broadhead tests you're going to see on YouTube. Really. I haven't ever seen one. I'm a big fan of, um, because what everybody does is they perfectly tune a bow. They Mm -hmm. put it in a shooting machine. So the arrow is perfectly straight and then they launch broadheads downrange. Mm-hmm. And so the broadhead is always perfect in the tests. And if you notice almost every, no matter how badly a broadhead is designed, the biggest group they're going to get is like two, three inches, right? Mm-hmm. Not that much. Um, and so since that broadhead never has an opportunity to come out and bend a little bit, they're almost all going to end up in the same area. So that two things to take away from that one, if you have a great well-tuned bow, you're going to get pretty good accuracy out of almost any broadhead. Right? Yeah. But two is if you really want a truly unbelievably exceptional broadhead, and I'll talk about what makes one, you want something that has such a small surface area that if you break down your form, you're shooting up or downhill, you're shooting uh, in a crosswind, really big crosswind, because then what? It's essentially like the wind's hitting it from the side. Right. It really doesn't affect the front of that arrow. And that's where you'll see them. So I always test my broadheads by going out in super strong crosswinds launching a ton of them at the right side of the target and then watching how much they get blown over to the left. Interesting. Yeah. Cause they're testing them all in perfect ideal circumstances, which yeah. is never, never what happens. Right. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, so to minimize, let's talk about minimizing surface area. So let's assume that your width is going to be the same, right? You're just going to, this is a one and an eighth or one and a fourth inch wide broadhead, very okay. common elk size, mm-hmm. uh, one and an eighth. And there's only a few ways to minimize the surface area of that broadhead, right? One's to make it shorter. So if you have something that's one and an eighth inch wide and it's eight inches long or an inch long, obviously it's eight times smaller, right? Yeah. You can just make sure that's a really small, stubby little head. And that's something you're going to notice on a lot of more modern broadheads. They're all super short and stubby looking little things. Right? Okay. So it's like a fat triangle looking thing. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the danger of that we'll talk about in penetration is that you get these blade angles that are not really that great, so they can kill penetration a little bit. But that's one way. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Um, make it shorter. You can make it narrower. Obviously, you can go down and cutting with. Mm-hmm. But we talked about the trade-off there. Um, you can get rid of the number of blades. So okay. broadheads are generally anywhere from two to four blade. And that's confusing the guys. We're talking about cutting edges. So your standard like Indian arrowhead, you know how it's flat and it's got an edge on each side? Mm-hmm. They'd call that a two blade. Okay. Versus a four blade broadhead would be if you took two of those and you put them inside each other. So then there's you know four blades. Right. So that way, if you like look at down, the, like in the direction of the point, like if the arrow is coming at your face, it'd be, it would shape like an X. Exactly. So it'd be like right. an X and then a... Uh, a three blade would be like a Y, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So you can get rid of the number of blades, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of guys, this is again, why there's bad advice. A lot of guys will say, Hey, this width is great for elk. Well, it's, are you talking about a four blade? You're talking about a two blade, a three blade. There's huge difference there. Yeah. And then there's kind of this X factor. um, And a lot of my viewpoints here come from a, a finite element analysis, which is something you do with a computer for aerodynamics from a world of triathlon or biking. So it's super into that. We talked about the Ironman for a while and that's uh, basically you, you're looking to smooth out things and not create negative air pressure on a leading or trailing edge. Okay. Is that why they wear those weird helmets? 
when they're yes. biking. Yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> gotcha. we're not going to dive into that because yeah. like, this is way too much. But smoothing, just to say it, let's put it this way, smoothing out the edges of that broadhead and the way the air transitions on and off of it is going to also make it more accurate. Okay. Um, so if you do have things like um, vents, you'll see guys put vents or like holes in the middle of the broadhead. Mm-hmm. That will minimize the amount of air hitting it. But if that's done improperly where there's really sharp edges there, a lot of that uh, aerodynamic instability can also hurt the, the accuracy of the broadhead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So similar to how like cars are shaped to be aerodynamic. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So like if I was looking for something that was going to be incredibly accurate, I'm looking for something that's generally pretty narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I know guys, this is a this is one of my biggest things with elk hunting and the American mindset is bigger is better. Always, everything bigger, better, stronger, more powerful. Uh, with elk broadheads, I'm a big advocate for the opposite, which is go small. Interesting, because right? the end all, be all, and like the ideal situation for a broadhead is that it puts two hole, two holes in an animal. In my opinion, it goes all the way through. Yeah, and will a smaller broadhead have better penetration because it's less drag, or because yeah. the chances of it being accurate are higher? Yeah, it'll have because of less drag. So if you think about it, air and flesh are basically the same thing. They're just two two mediums that drag on something. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, flesh is a little more uh, intense of drag, but it's the same principles. The thing that makes something more dynamic generally is going to make it penetrate better as well. Right. So you mm-hmm. kind of get this upward spiral of everything working together uh, with gotcha. accuracy and penetration. So you know, before we get off of accuracy and we can just dovetail right into penetration here, it's just, it's really important for guys to know too, that there, there are about a trillion factors in your bow, your arrow setup that are unique to it. Mm-hmm. So I've literally seen air uh, broadheads that work really, really well on one setup, not work on another one. Why is that? You know, it, it's everything from the spine to the length of the arrow, to the power curve of the bow, to the, you know, like the way it's, aligned as it comes out there's just a trillion things that are so small that you just not affect it (laughs) figure it out dang and so no matter how accurate or amazing the reputation of a certain broadhead is you do have to just shoot it yourself in your setup to know Mm -hmm. and that's super important so that's a big one for accuracy yeah Um, another thing on accuracy guys really don't think about for a broadhead is the ability to resharpen it while it's on your arrow is really important oh so okay. just for time saving or convenience or no for accuracy. So as you screw that broadhead in there, it's got to be aligned to the center of that arrow because if it's, if it's wobbling or it's off alignment, what's going to happen. Then the whole drag is going to throw everything off. Right. Exactly. Right. You're getting, even if the arrow is flying perfectly straight, that broadhead's not flying straight. And so it's mm-hmm. wobbling and you know, it's going to go off course. And we talked a lot about that and why it's so important to align inserts when you're building arrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about that, but even unscrewing and screwing back together the arrow, the tolerances are not good enough on that interface to keep them straight every time. So I've no seen, way. I've literally unscrewed a broadhead. It was spinning perfectly, rescrewed it in, and then spun it on a spinner, and you'll see a wobble. Whoa. And so I'm not trying to scare guys. And like, honestly, the amount of wobble you'll get from that tolerance is only the amount that would really matter over about 60 yards or so. Okay. So you can be fine without it. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but. This is also really important. It's even bigger if guys are taking one head, using it for practice, and then they swap in another head for action. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, under 60 yards, you're probably fine. Don't worry about this. I did it that way for a year or two. It's okay. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you're talking like I want pinpoint accuracy and I want to just be laser, laser tight, 60 to 80 yards, whatever your threshold of comfort is, um, you, you want to be able to sharpen those blades on the broadhead. Okay. And so that's something you actually pay for in those really expensive ones is the, there's such quality metal in the blades mm-hmm. that you can do what's called stropping it, which is just running it down a piece of leather, which will just bring back those little, little uh, teeth. So interesting. So it'll just hone it a little bit. It'll hone it. And so all I'm going to go down a rabbit hole for like 30 seconds, but bear with me. All steel looks like a bread knife at a microscopic level. It's got these thousands of little tiny teeth mm-hmm. um, and those teeth that's how a blade gets all those teeth fold over or bend out of alignment, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're sharpening, all you're doing, it's like the grain of wood. You're trying to align those teeth in one way. So if you strop something or you're doing this little um, sort of fixing type thing, you're just aligning those teeth and strop it by rubbing it on leather. And right. that makes it incredibly sharp. So having a broadhead where you can shoot it into a target 10, 20 times and just do that really quickly with it still on your arrow and stick it in your quiver, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate in accuracy. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and I looked at the article. It's actually 50 yards, not 60. I did a lot of experimentation with this, but yeah. 50 is kind of where it starts to break down. Okay. Um, and what makes a broadhead unsharpened? Like are, there are certain broadheads that you have to take off to sharpen, even though the blades are, I mean, they're all sitting there. Yeah. And so it's either that the design of the blades interferes with each other. Like, it's really hard to articulate oh. this on a podcast, but you're trying to rub it on a flat surface to resharpen it. And like, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. doing that uh, or the steel quality is so low that it's just not going to come back with that kind of sharpening you'd have to put it in a jig and like use a stone gotcha okay right? that makes sense yeah something something like that so you know that's one of the things i like in a broadhead um, is a straight easy edge to do that too mm-hmm. and there's benefits to curved heads we'll get into that in a minute okay yeah so that's accuracy so- that is, yeah. So just to sum it up, you're looking for a, a pretty small stout, you know, one and an eighth to one and a sixteenth, even down to an inch if you got four blades, a wide broadhead that's got very minimal surface area. And that's going to be the, the early heralds of really good accuracy. Okay, cool. Yeah. But you got to test it. It's the only way to know. Like I've shot so many broadheads into, uh, into my, my target. I've replaced that insert in it like four times. Um, but you'll, you'll see in the, uh, the article, I've got a good picture up there. What a really good group at 50 looks like when you're afraid about killing your arrows at 50, 60 yards, you're like, this is a good broadhead. That was with yeah. the side wind too. That's not perfect conditions. Like we talked about. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's that, right. That's accuracy. That's everything. Cause you got to put that arrow where it needs to go. Um, so now penetration, right. And we talked a little bit about the two hole thing, but to, to dig back into that, like, why two holes? Uh, well, one, if you think about it, cutting an extra eighth of an inch or a half an inch wider is not likely going to give you that much more versus going six or 12 inches deeper. Yeah. might not have impact on the animal, right? Or like, yes. Yeah. Cause if you, I mean, I can get really geeky on this, but you compute the surface area of something going all the way through versus something being a fourth of an inch wider and going halfway through the amount of bleeding that's going to go on, right? And then also, yeah. let's not mention the fact that it might not, if it doesn't go all the way through, it might not ever hit the area. Sometimes you shoot at an angle and you only catch one lung. So if you didn't go all the way through, you wouldn't catch the lung. Yeah. Um, so getting all the way through is big. What that also does for you is it's, you know, animals die by losing blood pressure, 
right? It's the, they can't get blood from, uh, from their heart to their brain. So brain goes, shuts down and then they bleed out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if there's two holes, there's less area for stuff to stop up. So that means less pressure. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like you put two holes in a balloon, it's going to bleed out stuff way faster. Yeah. And so they don't have as much back pressure on their central nervous system as the arrow goes through. So they're going to bleed out and collapse faster for sure, without a doubt. And then also when you're shooting an animal, you're almost never shooting it perfectly level. Mm -hmm. Hey, that'd be great. And also you may have shot it high on the body or low on the body. But let's take an example where you're shooting a slight angle. And if you shoot one hole and you hit it high on the body, an animal runs off, what do you think is going to happen? It may run off pretty far. Yeah, because there's no blood coming out of it, right? Mm-hmm. You put the and hole like, yeah. at the top. So all that blood's going to drop down to the bottom of the abdomen and there's no hole down there to let it out. So you're going to get almost zero blood trail. Yeah, so you might not find it. Yep. And this happened to me with my bull last year. I hit it kind of mid-body and the arrow was angled um, up. And so I had one hole that came out near the bottom and one hole that came out near the top and all the blood came out of that bottom hole. Right. You get far, far better blood trails and faster deaths with two holes. So penetration is everything, right? Yeah. I think most people would agree with that. I I don't. Yeah. Yeah. There, Mm -hmm. you do get, uh, you do get some people, we'll talk about mechanicals here in a bit who are like massive cut that's shorter, but I, I would take two holes every time in my personal experience. And this, this one is not one. I mean, I've only shot three or four elk now. Um, this is one I learned from guys that have been doing it for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Like, you will see an astounding amount of those guys that all shoot kind of the same type of setup. And it's because they've okay. just learned, learned these lessons over time. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So like we talked about, like, so let's keep diving on penetration, but that's, that's like what we're aiming for. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about shooting heavy arrows and the arrows one and why that's so important, but we're just going to assume you're already doing that. So there's nothing else you can do to optimize penetration on the arrow side, mm-hmm. but there's really, you know, if, what is it? Four things that you can do to get better penetration of a broadhead. And they're going to be pretty close to accuracy, right? One is you make it narrower mm-hmm. so that it's going to go in further, smooth transitions, and then decrease the number of blades. We talked about those three before. The one that's different from accuracy is blade angles. Mm. So let me see if I can articulate this well on a part podcast. If you have taken a bread knife and you put it on the top of a loaf of bread, and you put your hand on the back of it and you push straight down, how yeah. hard is it to cut that bread? Uh, you just push straight down. I push mean, that would probably down. be the easiest way, right? If you just go straight down. Well, I'm, I'm talking, right. if you're like trying to put all the force on it, it and probably didn't say it real well, but that actually be the hardest thing to do, right? You're trying oh, instead to of sawing it, you mean? Yeah. Versus slicing sideways. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Just putting, pushing straight down with no forward or backward motion. Yeah. It'd be yeah. the hardest way to cut through for sure. And so the same, that's a zero versus a 90 degree blade angle. The same thing applies to an arrow. So the closer the edges of the blade are to parallel with the shaft, mm-hmm. the closer it is to sawing back and forth. Interesting. Yeah. So it seems like one end of the spectrum is you're slicing through the meat where another Mm -hmm. one, you're pushing a sharp blade directly like at it. basically. Yes. And so going back to those thousands of little teeth, blades are not designed to push. Mm -hmm. Try to push a blade through something, teeth fold over. They don't like it's directly opposed to it versus if you're sliding, you got thousands of little teeth all distributing that load, making very, very good cuts. 
Interesting. Yeah. So even if you take a look at it like a chef knife, it may look like you're pushing it straight down, but with that rocking motion, you're actually slicing into it. Exactly. Um, yep. Yeah. And that's why, you know, a lot of guys get those, what is it, Satoku, the ones that have yeah, flat Santokus. Santokus, and they have a really hard time with it because they're just pushing straight into it, right? Versus right. Chef knife's gradually curved and you kind of always are slicing at an angle because of the curve. Mm-hmm. Got um, it. And what degree did you say? It just depends. You know, there's no set degrees and I'm not like, hey, this is the degree to hit here. Uh, but mm. the more relaxed that blade angle, the better. And so we talked about the trade-off there because you could also make a really relaxed blade angle by making a really long rod head, right? Yeah. If it's the same width, the longer you make it, the more relaxed the blade angle. Yeah, kind of like the logo that we have for the podcast. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> if we took the two edges and pulled them together, it would be mm-hmm. really relaxed blade angle. And so that uh yeah, that's a trade-off there and you just so, want to make sure you're you're looking at a broadhead that's got a pretty relaxed one by relaxed you mean uh narrower almost would that make it that would make it more relaxed right like Correct. the tip of the triangle is like uh, how do i describe it like the i guess the angle is smaller yep the angle is smaller and at so the top. yeah okay yeah and there's you know there's not like people can't bend physics on this one mm-hmm. <laughs> But really what that one comes down to is it's my biggest argument for why you should not go for a wide broadhead, right? Got it. Go wider. You're going to really mess with those blade angles. You got to be pushing a ton of energy. And a lot of guys bring, we're talking elk here, right? This is a elk focus series. And so a lot of guys bring the whitetail world where even a pretty low powered bow setup is going to blow right through a small deer. Yeah. And so in that world, they're like, yeah, wide broadheads make a difference. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like you're going to get penetration, do it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one and a fourth inch, one and a half inch broadhead, even some of the mechanicals that are like two inches are still capable of pushing all the way through a deer. Mm -hmm. But with an elk, they are seriously heavy duty animals. Like the rib on an elk is equivalent to some of the other bones on a deer. So it's, um, it's, it's really hard. So I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. Anytime someone with a standard setup tells me they got something wider than an inch and an eighth or an inch and a sixteenth, I'm pretty mm-hmm. skeptical that's going to go well. Um, so that's probably the best way to get a blight angle. Um, but yeah, just make sure to look at that. Yeah. Pretty important. So you mentioned, yeah, we have accuracy and we have um, uh, penetration. And some of the things that increase accuracy also increase penetration, things like deep decreasing the surface area or making Mm -hmm. sure the transitions are smooth. Yep. But when it comes to the blade angle, do you reach a certain point where you optimize too much for penetration and it starts to take away from accuracy? Yeah. Although I, I honestly think that's, that's really hard to do. A lot of guys pick up these little broadheads, like the slick trick Viper trick, which I've killed an elk with, and they're just phenomenal. Best flying, Mm -hmm. one of the best flying heads I've ever shot. And the guys pick that up and they're like, like, can I shoot an elk with this? Is that okay? <laughs> um, and almost all the states require seven eighths inch width minimum, mm-hmm. but I would be totally comfortable shooting an elk at seven eighths. Like it's there. I was not a believer, but you just have to put it in the right place and it's going to yeah. it. So I think that's one people just need to get over. It's all about shot placement and nothing, nothing with a bow is going to save you if you don't put it in the right place, there's no energy or wide enough cut. That's going to miraculously get you to the right place. Yeah. Uh, unlike yeah, a gun a- where if, and even a gun, I'd challenge people a little on that, but like if you're shooting a, you know, a 340 Weatherby Mac, uh, you are dumping four or 5,000 foot pounds of energy into something. So you, know, you might be able, like there's enough hydrostatic shock from that, that it might make up for a slightly worse place bullet. 
Yeah, that's what you you mentioned one time to me that sometimes like the caliber is so big that the animal dies from uh, hydrostatic shock, like all the blood pumping straight into the brain and like basically popping the brain. Is that how it works? Uh, yeah, well, it's massive blood pressure and depressurization. Oh, so you God, make it's it. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You make it instant. Um, yeah, well, anyway, we won't go into firearms yet. Another year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so you, one thing you can do to get around that penetration thing with the blade angle is you can slightly curve the blade. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this with the chef's knife, but it actually... Like this one's uh, like too complex for me to even really get. I had to talk to a friend who's a physics major and he's talking about angular momentum and relative direction. I'm like, okay, whatever. We're good. (laughs) Long story short, if it's slightly curved, it's acts as if it's slicing more sideways. Uh, What do you mean by slightly, slightly curved? So if you're looking at like a katana sword, right? Oh, like a Japanese got it. sword that's got that slight bend to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason a lot of these ancient swords have those, um, curves to them is that they actually help with, uh, with, uh, cutting. Because if you are slicing a sword sideways, you're, you know, pushing it at someone, you're basically coming at them at a really bad angle. But if the blade itself is slightly curved, even if mm. it hits them dead sideways, it's still going to act like it's slicing a little bit. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So that's the same with the broadhead slight uh, curve. The only danger of curved broadheads is there. It can be a little harder to resharpen. Oh yeah. It's not yeah. a perfectly straight edge, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about that with the day six, which I think is worth it. Okay. Uh, but the number of blades, and I'll, let's hit this and then we can be done with penetration. But uh, I think guys also don't really think about that. So guys will say, Hey, yeah, one and a eighth inch broadhead is great for a two blade. And then oh, let's do it for a four blade, but you've literally doubled the amount of blade area. Surface area. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll get into individual setups, but if you're someone who's shooting a pretty small amount of bow energy, and I'll outline that later, you really want to go with a narrower two blade, right? Mm -hmm. Versus if you're a guy that's pumping crazy energy, 70 pound bow, 350 pound speed, IBO speed rating, and you could go with a four blade broadhead at that width and probably be okay. Got it. So if you're shooting more powerful blade, you can afford to have a little bit more surface area. Yeah. Just a more powerful arrow, right? More energy in the area arrow yeah. itself but then again it's still gonna affect accuracy so i just i can never really think of a world where i'm like i, I like a really wide blade yeah so it sounds like a two blade would be the way to go for most people yeah and i i think the best one there's really four categories of blades so there's like a true two blade broadhead right which is mm-hmm. just single flat piece of metal blades on either side of it then there's what they call a two blade with bleeders so that's mm-hmm. really a four blade broadhead with one big flat blade. And then like this little tiny blade on the back that sticks out, um, you had a 90 degree angle. So look, if you're looking down you'll see four blades, but two of them are huge and two are small. Yeah. It's so like a lopsided X. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that is like the design that a lot of the best high end ones have settled on. And the reason is you still get crazy good penetration, but you kind of get that extra bleeding that you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And it really frees up the tension of the material it's cutting through around the shaft of the arrow. So you're right. going to notice some pretty phenomenal penetration. So that design, which surprise, surprise is both my recs. And you'll notice that like everyone's accusing everybody of copying, copying each other broadheads these days. But like that design has been around for like 20 years. <laughs> and if you look at five or 10 of the top heads, they all have that design. Interesting. Okay. So there's a traditional two blade, two blade with bleeders. What yep. are the other two types? There's three blades right and uh those are the ones you're gonna see that have they're almost always machined out of like one piece they're made out of one piece right yeah i've seen that yep and they're actually one of the really big benefits of a three blade 
is that you can resharpen them on a flat stone because mm-hmm. the way the blades are made, you just literally set them down and two of the blades are always touching that stone. So uh, you slide it, rotate it, slide it, rotate it. So it's a good yeah. option for guys that are deer hunting or shooting stuff a lot because it's really easy to resharpen them. Oh, and you can resharpen them on the arrow like we talked about. Yeah. The downside of a three blade is there's a more drag, a lot more drag. Uh, so mm-hmm. accuracy, I've never really found one that I'm like, this is great accuracy. Okay. Um, good, but I'm never quite as good as the other guys. And mm-hmm. it's not like, yeah, you get one more cutting area, but I just don't think like you took that one blade off and put it on a two blade. Oh yeah. Two blade with bleeders, right? Mm-hmm. You get better accuracy in almost the same cutting area. Uh, true. True. And then finally there's straight up four blade broadheads, which are ones that are like four blades, you know, equal width. Um, you don't see too many of those because they have a problem penetrating mm-hmm. generally, but you do see some of those that have like a really small diameter, like a one inch that work really well. I think tooth of the arrow makes one that's pretty good. Yeah. The four blades, do they have a trouble pen? Do they have trouble penetrating because of drag? Yeah, pretty much. Got it. Um, but you'll see this, the standard slick tricks for those. Mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't, it's not a bad head. People have shot plenty of elk with it, but the blade angle on a standard slick trick is really aggressive. Oh, I see. Uh, versus the Viper trick where it's way more uh, conservative blade angle. Okay. So so anyway, I have Rex on the website. You guys can go look at that. It's what I think is like a good width at each of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it comes down to your setup. So so that's accuracy and penetration, right? We've kind of hit the two, the two most important things in the broadhead. But does yeah. that all make sense? It makes sense. It sounds like you don't really have to trade off too much with accuracy and, and penetration. No, they generally go hand in hand. Right. If okay, I can sum okay. it all up, it's like go narrower than you think because you'll be just fine. Okay, cool. And you'll get the trade-offs you get. Those two trade-offs are so much more worth it than, you know, thinking you're going to get a bigger cut through an animal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which, is, which is it. So mm-hmm. now we're into the really controversial stuff. <laughs> Put on your seatbelt, Josh. Uh, fixed blades versus mechanicals. Oh, so is this the most controversial topic when it comes to broadheads? Yeah, without a doubt. If not all of elk hunting, um, just pretty, and maybe like the range you can shoot animals at. That might be the one. So we haven't talked about anything that's super controversial yet. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Guys, guys take things personally with their favorite brand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, mechanicals versus broadheads. Yes. Yeah. Um, so mechanicals, we talked about the benefit of a mechanical, right? There's very little surface area because the blades are generally fairly hidden. Um, it's a complete lie that it shoots the same as a, f- a field point. Every, yeah. every broadhead manufacturer says that it's never true. Oh, really? <laughs> Even with the best mechanicals, I've still they still fly slightly different. So you gotta okay. do it. But the difference is much smaller between a field point and a mechanical than a field point and a fixed blade. Yeah, and actually, I remember the first time you described a mechanical to me. I remember thinking that maybe I should get it because I don't know how to tune my bow. Yes. Yeah. And that in my mind is the, the one saving argument of the mechanical broadhead. Mm. Um, but I do think that if you're going to be an archer, you should learn to tune your bow. Because <laughs> like, even a mechanical broadhead flying at a weird angle is going to not penetrate that well. Yeah. Right? Cause it's still a sideways arrow going, yeah, going into yeah. the elk. And so it may or may not have time to correct before it gets there, which is, which is it. So here's the reason I'm pro fixed blades and i'm just gonna get out of the way and say that's why um you know one of them is that like i said talking to all these older guys they've all done what i did and i killed a i killed an elk with a mechanical by the way mm-hmm. my first year i shot one with a mechanical got one lung it only penetrated about half the arrow and i got really lucky and it nicked the artery along the backbone yeah the animal 
mm-hmm. and then it bled out. But I remember after that, I was like, holy moly, that was like the luckiest thing ever. If that had not been there, it wouldn't have penetrated enough to kill this thing quickly. I'm never shooting a mechanical again. Dang. How come you went with mechanical the first time? Exactly what you were talking about, tuning. Uh, yeah. 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 And no one, I asked so many times at the Bose, and this is kind of why I got into this stuff, is like I kept asking, how do you do this? What's a good instruction place? Like point me to a video or a book or a, and nobody could do any of that stuff. They were just like, oh yeah, you got to just go learn. Um, mm-hmm. So it took me like a year to figure it out. Um, and we'll try to make it real simple later on, but that was the reason. So that's part of it. There's really four big ones, right? Better penetration, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when a mechanical hits an animal, it actually takes a huge amount of energy. I think uh, Bill at Iron Will did a really cool thing with Aaron Snyder where he was talking about the energy. He did basically a lab-controlled experiment of pushing broadheads through the hide of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed that, like, I think it was like 10 to 20x more force to get a mechanical to penetrate the skin versus a fixed-blade broadhead. Whoa. And that's even before it opens up because you had to the energy required to push those blades out and overcome the resistance oh. there that keeps them in place when it's flying is really high. Oh, I see. I see. So it's the actual mechanical part that makes it so hard for it to penetrate. Having yeah, so to open up against the force, literally like the opposite force right at the maximal point of like force right when it hits. So yeah. And so it's going to take a ton of energy right off the bat before it even gotcha. starts penetrating, which is, that's tough, right? Yeah, it's like hitting the brakes right when you make contact with the animal. Yep, exactly. Okay. So that's, that's you know, a big reason fixed blades will always penetrate better. Guys won't argue that point for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, reliability, right? Mechanicals can open in your quiver. I've had them open in the quiver. I've had them open in flight. They cannot open well when they hit an animal. Um, I've heard reports from really guys I trust a lot. I think Aaron Snyder was talking about it too, where you've seen mechanicals hit ribs of animals and they literally bounce off. Mm-hmm. Um, so they won't, sometimes they don't even open uh, the O-rings and retention things that hold the blades in place are often plastic and you get a really cold night that can crack them or they can break up in the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen plastic break up there. Blades can snap because to put these giant blades on the head, you've only got 100 or 125 grains of material in most heads. So you have to make them really thin or they're just too heavy. Interesting. So there's a lot of different things how they can fail. Um, I'm not trying to get down on mechanicals. I, sh- I shoot them for deer. They're great in some situations. Uh, mm-hmm. Modern ones have done away with a lot of those failures. Like that's pretty okay. rare. But if I'm getting one shot a year, if that, like I really don't want to risk it. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's number two, right? Um, and then the biggest one we talked about earlier for me is that you can't practice with the exact broadhead on your arrow with a mechanical. Oh yeah, that's true. Because so it'll sh- just open up. Exactly. And so you can then replace the blades and deal with all the stuff, but then you've got to carry all these other blades around. And by the way, if you do that, it might change the point of impact. And yada, yada, right, yada, yada. right, right. There is one on the market, it's Sever. It used to be the old Ulmer Edge design that um, if I'm shooting a mechanical for elk, like say you're just dead set on this, I'd be shooting the 1.5 version inch of that head because they actually have a screw that goes into it that locks the blades inside of it. Well, so you can shoot it exactly the same way you'd shoot it in an animal and then just remove that screw. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. And they're known for yeah, that 1.5 inch diameter is actually pretty narrow for a mechanical and it's got a really good blade angle. And okay. it's a rear deploy. A rear deploy mechanical always takes less energy than a front deploy mechanical. So what's that, the difference? 
uh, a rear deploy, the blades get pushed out the back. So like as the arrow goes in, they just get pushed backwards. So it's less energy versus a front design. They catch on the animal and then they flip backwards, if that makes sense. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I'll probably have to watch video online. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. almost impossible. But <laughs> if, yeah, that's a great broadhead. I've tried it on a deer. It's phenomenal there. I don't, just don't have the guts to shoot it at an elk. Um, yeah. What's it called? The Sever, S-E-V-E-R. Okay. Easton actually owns it. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, it's a direct-to-consumer type thing. But you know, if guys are hearts in the mechanicals, go for it. But I'd still be like, please shoot a fixed blade. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, last reason. <laughs> then I'm off my, off my discussion here. And this is a discussion. And again, it's not right for everyone. Like mm-hmm. certain situations, say a guy has a setup that is perfectly tuned, perfectly set up. He's going to Colorado. He doesn't have time to change it over and tune it. Um, okay, like go for it, you know, do your thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not trying to force my f- view on folks. But if people come to me and ask 80% of the time, fixed blade. Yeah. Uh, but Idaho won't let you shoot mechanicals. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's a lot. So that's the last reason, huh? So yeah, that's a whole state eliminated from your. Yeah. Yeah. And guys are like, oh, well, you could put on a fixed blade. Let's so know you have to retune your bow. Right. Yeah. So uh, I just like to leave a fixed blade on there because now I can go to Colorado or Idaho. To you know, depending like that one year I shot an uh, elk second year I shot an elk the first morning in Colorado. I was like, cool, go in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you fix blades way to go with that. But yeah, uh, does that make all make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense for the people who are like diehard mechanical. Like what is their, I mean, if they listen to your four points there, is there any part that you think they disagree with? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think like any really controversial argument, both sides make a lot of sense if you hear them out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so their, their position is that, yeah, it's always going to fly better. And they're a really good point they make is that if you're torquing your bow or you have weird winds or you're up or downhill, like we talked about things that happen in real world situations, the mechanical is going to be far less affected. Interesting. Right. So, so they're basically arguing that mechanicals are more accurate. Yeah, which I think is the one solid accurate, you know, solid argument for mechanical to argue that. To some guys will argue uh, that the broader cut will save you if you shoot into the guts or something mm-hmm. because it'll like slice up more stuff, and even if it's a bad shot, it'll bleed out better. Yeah, I don't really buy that one, but that they'll push that one pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Yeah, I mean, those are really the two. That's really okay. the stuff they'll push. But Interesting. Uh, but then with a mechanical, even though it is more accurate or can be more accurate, what your argument is, is it's not worth giving up the penetration. No, no, not at uh, all. It, There's really yeah. not, you're not going to find a mechanical that's one and an eighth inches, right? The, the smallest one that I'm aware of that I would use rear deploy that I'd use for elk is that sever one at 1.5. Mm-hmm. How come there is no one at one and an eighth? Because pretty much anyone who's using mechanical wants that massive penetration, right? Or sorry, that mm-hmm. massive damage and that wide width. Interesting. It's just not a market for it. I don't think huh. anyone would buy it. Because anyone who who really wants penetration and gets all this is going to be a fixed fix. blade. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't sell, right? It's Ameri- like it's America. Bigger, badder, wider, stronger. Yeah. Makes uh, sense. And so I just don't think there's a market for it. Uh, Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So, huh. Okay, cool. Yeah. So and mechanicals so, are accurate, but just not... Yeah. Penetrating. And I don't, I mean, of the 20 or 30 guys I know that I really trust with this stuff, I know two or three that shoot mechanicals and love them okay. and are just all about it. So it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. Like there's guys I really trust that do it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just saying if I was going to pick something where I'm recommending it to you and 80% of the guys, especially yeah. you, because your individual setups, not 
you're kind of mid power. Yeah. Um, so I would, if you are going to shoot a mechanical, I'd also be very honest with yourself around, uh, you've got to have a super high power setup and you got to have a really heavy arrow to transfer all that energy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the real bummer is a lot of guys that shoot mechanical shoot super light arrows for deer. Mm. And so you get the worst of both worlds. Oh, I see. Yeah. So yeah, you end up yeah. with these, Hey, it went in like five inches and I never found him. Right. Uh, which is like, you can even watch, um, uh, you can watch TV shows and a lot of guys that are sponsored by mechanical uh, companies and you'll see the shots and the arrow will go in a third of the way. Dang. And then magically it'll cut to them retrieving it. And I don't know if it's a day later or what, but yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's really hard to watch. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. So is next up your Rex or is there any other points on broadheads? Oh man, there's too many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think the, the personal recommendation, let's maybe we just talk a few other things. Like another thing that's really important is reliability and strength of the broadhead, mm -hmm. right? Like, and this is honestly something that's kind of gone the way of the Dodo. A lot of them are really good, but some things to look out for is like aluminum ferrule. That's, Whoa, what's that's that? the center part of the arrow that the blades go into mm -hmm. like the rod part of the broadhead. Does that make sense right there? Yeah. Okay. You really don't want an aluminum ferrule. Okay. It's so skinny. Um, they're generally, so weak that they'll bend and they'll break pretty easily. So mm -hmm. Don't really want that. I generally avoid any broadhead with aluminum ferrules. Um, you want pretty thick blades, at least 35 thousandths. Yeah. Uh, just to be stronger. And then like the shorter and stouter they are also the stronger they are. So it goes back to accuracy and penetration, like shorter, uh, less surface area also means they're going to be stronger too. So, okay. Um, but that one's just like a, it's important thing to check. But yeah. just make sure you're not shooting an aluminum type ferrule and you're good to go. Okay, cool. So yeah, just a, just a, something to watch out for. Yeah. And a lot of guys, there's this whole theory of, oh, if I hit the shoulder blade, I want it to punch through. But the amount of energy and accuracy, like I'm pretty confident my setup would do it. But mm -hmm. I would say 60 to 80% of the setups on the market, I don't think guys are going to punch through a bone. Okay. So over investing in strength is not really the thing to worry about but mm -hmm. it's just a box to check to make sure it's strong enough. Yeah. It's not going to break when you hit something. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then the other big one is like your individual setup. And we kind of hit on this earlier, right? So if you notice going back to the types of broadheads, if almost all trad guys, traditional archery, right? Shoot two blades. Hmm. Makes sense, right? Best oh, penetration. So low power. Oh, so low yeah, power, yeah, best yeah. penetration, right? Mm -hmm. So the same general thing works with bows. If you got an ultra low power setup, like my wife's, for example, she's shooting 44 pounds uh, with a 28 inch draw length uh, at like a 335 IBO. Mm -hmm. which guys freak out about and they say, why the heck are you doing that? And I can make an easy case to show you why that's more powerful than a 70 pound bow from like eight years ago. But anyway, by today's definition, she's... Uh, shooting a pretty low powered bow. Right. So she is shooting a two blade broadhead. That is every single possible thing about that broadhead is for penetration. Yeah. Right? And is she shooting a pretty heavy arrow then too? Un unbelievably heavy arrow for her right. weight. She's shooting like a 450 or she's basically shooting almost the, the arrow weight you will be shooting. Oh, wow. Okay. Even though she's like 10 or 15 pounds lighter, because I'm just trying to eke out every little bit of penetration yeah. of that That's thing. That's right. That's right. And it's amazing because her bow is like dead quiet. I mean, it, mm -hmm. thump. <laughs> you don't even hear it. Like we were shooting it at the trailhead a year or two ago and guys were like, like, what is that bow? I'm like, oh, it's just because she's shooting this, this arrow. So it's pretty funny. Dang. Um, 
But yeah, so if you're shooting super low power, definitely the two blades, you know, one inch, one and a sixteenth, really narrow. Um, you guys that get up into that medium power, like you're going to be at 50 to 60 pound draw length, you know, 27 to 29 inch draw, you know, standard 320 to 330, F, you know, IBO. Mm-hmm. That two blade with bleeders is a great choice, right? Cool. Yeah, it's going to really work. Um, I actually have a super powerful bow and I still shoot that. Like I don't, I just don't see any upside to going any bigger. Oh, interesting. Uh, Cause they're so, so accurate. Yeah. Uh, and then super high power. That's when you get into, Hey, you can think about it. You know, you've got over 60 pounds of draw weight, you know, 28, 29 inch draw three thirty plus IBO bow. It's not an unusual setup these days, you know, three forty mm-hmm. with a 30 inch draw on a 70 pound draw weight. Like you can, you can start pushing weight. And that's when you could start thinking about something like an inch and a fourth or something like that. Uh, yeah. I'm getting really prescriptive here and like, doesn't mean I'm right. I'm just, I think guys really want that level of detail. Mm-hmm. I really wanted that level of detail. I was getting started. Like yeah, I know there's so many options and so many variables that a lot of times it's a lot easier to just be like, all right, I fit in this category. Yep. What's the best recommendation there? Yeah. I'm a hundred percent sure if you follow those guidelines, like you're going to have really good odds yeah through an elk nice. so yeah, that's a general setup for people and i think you're right in the middle of it this year okay because you're shooting what 56 ish yeah around 56 ish i think i'm should i bump up to 60 i not if it's you know that extra five pounds is not going to make the difference it's about okay. something that's comfortable for you yeah cool. 56 if you're over 50 i'm more than confident okay i'm comfortable i can pull that thing back actually kind of slowly and yeah pull it back now so it's it's good that's really important because especially mm-hmm. as you let down on an elk, you want to mm-hmm. have total control over that thing. Yeah, yeah. You might be waking up at 545 and it's 25 degrees out. It's cold. I shot my elk last year sitting on my butt. Like there's a lot of weird positions and things you're doing. So you want to be able to completely draw and let down that bow without even a hitch. Yeah. So that'll Perfect. be far more beneficial to you killing an elk than another five. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're right there in the middle. But we've got you know small diameter arrows for you that are really heavy with a you know really relaxed blade angle and some well you haven't picked your broadheads yet but we'll we'll get you one yeah and uh, wow what's gonna be so awesome about this is going into it just that feeling of confidence like knowing that arrow is gonna fly super straight and then hitting that spot it's gonna penetrate so deep that yeah. that just gives you the confidence to take the shot I feel like. Totally. And that's another big reason I tell guys they should learn their own setup and their stuff is that if you don't know something, you don't have confidence in it. Mm-hmm. And you might have really good confidence in the shop that set it up or the guy that set it up like me, right? If you're, <laughs> hopefully you trust me by now, but yeah. if I set it up for you and you're like, this is sweet. And you go out there and you drop it on the ground. What happened? Oh, now you're like, yeah, oh man, great. I don't know. I don't know. And just having that in your head mm-hmm. is really bad. Like archery is a game of inches and like, we can talk. We'll get into some really cool stuff after this series around like visualization and like with winning in mind and some really cool stuff there. But like, awesome. Just the way you think is going to dictate the outcome a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a big reason for it. But uh, there's two or three other things. And then we can just talk about like the wrecks and that sort of steel stuff. But the mm-hmm. broadhead weight, almost all broadheads are 100 or 125 grains now. Yeah. Um, guys get into these really heavy ones. Uh, trad remember you're tuning the arrow to the bow not the bow to the arrow so they have mm-hmm. to play with different weight heads to try to get things right yeah That's traditional archery compound archery don't have to do that uh, but a lot of guys now with the whole rage around front of center which we talked about why that's not that big of a deal on the arrow one 
uh, they really go for these 150, 200 grain, 250 grain heads. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that for a few reasons. One, like your commercial spine charts only go up to 125 grains. So tuning, mm-hmm. building an arrow that tunes to that thing is going to be really hard. Okay. It's literally impossible if you have like a 60, 70 pound bow, because you're going to need like a 200 or a 150 spine. Ah, I see. It just isn't even made in most arrows. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one, two, if you do lose them all, you need to replace them. If you walk to your closest shop, they're only going to have 100, 125 grains. You know? mm-hmm. So you're not going to be able to get your arrow to tune if you went from 200 to, you're not going to lose your broadheads. Maybe you do in a box, but maybe you shoot them all and damage them. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just not worth it in my opinion. So, but I do tend generally steer guys towards 125s, not a hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually heard arguments the other way that are really compelling too. But my rationale is that you only have a set amount of weight to build in a broadhead. And so the more weight you have, the stronger you can make it. Like if you mm-hmm. look at a hundred grain versions, very often they're like milling out a, a ridge on the threads. They're, you know, trimming down that ferrule down the middle, they're making it weaker to hit that 100 grain Yeah, deal. So that 125 makes a stronger broadhead. Mm-hmm. The danger there, and I've heard John Dudley talk about this, he has a really good point, is that if you do, if someone does make a lot of things thicker, what do you have? More surface area, right? Yeah. So it's pretty rare, but you got to watch out for it. 90% of the time, I'm a fan of the 125. It'll give you slightly better front of center, slightly stronger, more weight in the arrow, which we talked about why weight is great. So gotcha. Yeah. So most of the time 125 would be better than hundred in terms of like the, the strength and durability of the arrow, but I guess there could be exceptions depending on the design. Totally. And you, you know, you have to pick one. And so I think if, for elk, if guys just pick 125 grains, cause you remember your field points have to weigh as much as your broadhead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so just, it's great. Go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the 175, 200 grain kind of things. Yeah. Okay. But that's, you know, replaceable blades. Uh, yeah, I've actually got an interesting point on this. Let's hit it. But you people used to say replaceable blades weren't that strong. That's kind of changed over time. Stuff has gotten pretty good. The one thing that is really nice, and this is what you're going to pay for in a really high-end broadhead like the Iron Will or the uh, Day 6, mm-hmm. is that when you're in the backcountry, it's pretty much impossible to carry sharpening stuff for a broadhead because it's going to be too heavy and too bulky. Yeah. So the only way for you to resharpen a broadhead, quote unquote, is going to be to replace the blades. Okay. Now let's step back another level. A lot of replaceable blade broadheads have the first thing that hits the elk is the ferrule or that center piece, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you miss and you hit a rock, that thing gets bent permanently. Mm -hmm. So even if you put blades back in it, you've got a bent broadhead. Yeah. Not so great. Now the design of those day sixes and the iron wheels is really nice because the bro- the replaceable blade itself is the tip of the arrow. Hmm. So if you say I miss an elk and I, you know, cow a rock, I can just literally replace those blades and I've got a perfectly straight broadhead again. Perfect. Gotcha. Straight. So for backcountry guys, it's super nice because I've got a five arrow quiver. I put one blunt in there for grouse. I've got four broadheads, right? Which uh, makes a lot of guys nervous. I've never never used more than one. We're fine but you can also throw a packet of blades in there and then effectively you've got like, you know, some extra broadheads. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So for most guys, it probably won't matter too much because they have, they're going to be carrying multiple arrows with broadheads on it, but nice to have. Yeah. And also like 
if you don't have replaceable blades in a broadhead, you need to know how to sharpen it or resharpen mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Which is a skill and it's a skill that's going away. Oh yeah. <laughs> like very few people know how to resharpen even a knife now. So if you don't know how to resharpen it, like definitely get something with replaceable blades. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's important. So that's it. My last words of wisdom on that is like price isn't that important here. Like hmm. almost all bro- sets of three broadheads are 30 to 40 bucks. Okay. That's so not like you can really save by going and getting a $20 pair. There's just not many out there that are that, and they, you know, they're not really the things we talked about. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be on the hook minimum of 30 to $40 for three of them, which is only like 10 to 13 bucks a head. Yeah. Not uh, bad. So don't try to skimp, you know, like don't try to save five bucks on three heads Yeah, uh, for a better design. And then this is also the reason you and guys go with the really premium stuff like the day six and iron wells so that so many times now 90 to 110 dollars for three of them like that sounds crazy right and that is a lot of money to invest right up front but if you can resharpen the blades right and you can replace the blades and save the broadhead that actually over time nets out uh okay because a lot of these cheaper ones, it's $20 for a pack of three blades. So you might, you know, if you shoot a bunch of animals or you miss a few times or you're practicing a bunch, you're kind of replacing blades all the time. That gets yeah. Expensive. Yeah. Uh, so it's people are always like, how do guys spend that much money? It's like, well, if you're going to be shooting a lot. And then also not to mention the fact like you can only get some of the benefits we talked about by going with those guys. Right. Right. Okay. So kind of like buy once, cry once. If you're going to be shoot archery hunting a lot, then maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the premium stuff's worth it. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. I guess the premium stuff's worth it over time for anybody, huh? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, if, I mean, but if you know, you're going to shoot stuff for years, you're going to maintain it. Well, guys also just like to experiment and it's, it's hard because a $40 broadhead is going to be 98, 99% as good in the majority of the case, cases is the high end ones. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, it's very hard for me to tell a guy he needs a $90 set versus a $40 set. Yeah. Yeah. Work really well. But if you gotcha. want the bleeding edge of, you know, all those things, you got to go for the big stuff, but yeah, cool. So I'm probably just going to get some of the 30 or $40 ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Yeah, when you talk Rex here in a sec, I think that's a really good, good way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, generally that Viper trick is, that's the best I've ever tested there. Yeah, uh, the accuracy is insane on those things. But awesome. We won't hit exact wrecks. The day six, if I had to pick two, it'd be the day six and the Viper trick right now. Unbelievable. Okay. I tested about 40 heads at this point, and those two fly, fly the best. Um, yeah. And they're both you no know, surprises, basically the same design, like an inch, inch and a sixteenth uh wide mm-hmm. uh two blade with bleeders, right? Yeah. So that Viper tricks would be the like best value. Uh, yeah. option and then day six would be that premium option yeah yeah and the iron wheels i'm a fan of those unbelievable really cool tolerances but they rust um mm-hmm. and i just don't want to maintain something or deal with that yeah there yeah. and you have a you have a video out on the day six broadheads right yeah like a 10 minute video and a comparison of the iron wheels so it's good oh sweet yeah but you guys are gonna be super happy with either of those like that's just a personal decision on my end okay um, cool. they're both phenomenal phenomenal heads yeah, but if you guys want to see the uh, broadhead review and comparison, that's on your YouTube page, right? Same thing, Baxter Bowman. Yep, and also on the website, the, there's an article on it. They can, I think, got a link to the video there. Nice. Um, and I'll do a review of the Viper tricks here as well over time. But sweet. Yeah, and then some last tips and tricks. Like we should definitely hit these because these apply to everybody, even if they're yeah, listening cool. to this and they already have broadheads. But um, 
you absolutely need this arrow spinner, uh, which is like a little device that allows you to rotate that arrow and check if that broadhead's in true. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way to know if it's in the insert, if the broadhead's been bent, if it's been installed weird. Like you need to be able to spin it to see. Yeah. So like okay. that's I've got a link to the Pine Ridge one on there. Um, there's links to all these things on the. We'll put this in the podcast description so guys can go check it out. But yeah, you absolutely need one of those no matter what broadhead you're going with, just to make sure everything's aligned. It's the only okay. way to know. Yeah. Oh, it's not that expensive. It's like 25 bucks. Yeah. Now they're cheap. Oh, cool. But it's really important, especially when you're building arrows too. As we yeah. talked about, you can't can't tell if stuff's aligned without that. Yeah. Yeah. Another big one is like make sure to test broadheads at the hunting location. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys sight in their broadheads. You have to sight in your arrows with your broadheads just to make sure they're flying right. We talked about mm -hmm. that. But they'll get up to Colorado, Idaho. They're like, good to go. But uh, altitude, humidity, the way you transport, you knock something loose, like it makes some really big differences. Like I've got up there and been like, oh man, I need to move my sight up by like six inches at 50 yards, right? Yeah. Uh, so you got to always, always shoot them when you get to your location. Like so important. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. And then I remember you showing me a picture where the group was like so small at 80 yards also. And that must have been a great feeling going into the hunt, like just confident in your ability. There's no better feeling than that. And <laughs> I'm not to the point yet where I'm putting a lot of those photos up because guys will call BS and get upset or whatever. But yeah, there's been times where I've been shooting really well and you're like, I could, yeah. You're putting like a fist-sized group at 80 yards. And you're like, this feels great. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, that's the, that's me on my best day. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to. Like, trust me, I'm not a professional archer here, but, <laughs> but that feeling is just like, it's like I could anything in that distance, I can touch it and be very yeah. confident that's going where I want it to go. Totally. Um, yeah. Make sure to store them in the right box. And there's like an MTM broadhead box. that's like $6. Like, Oh, nice. It's amazing. Guys will buy, you know, a hundred dollars of broadheads and then they'll just like throw them in a box and it's like yeah. just rooting oh. all the edges on those things yeah it just pains me to think if one edge just touches the other like gosh that's yeah terrible. you sold knives i forgot about that you, you do yeah. it and uh knife edges yeah that's uh yeah I, the most common reason why knives stole is because people are cutting on plates and like all these other yep. they're storing them terribly in, in the in the cupboard like in yep. the drawer gosh yeah, yeah. Oh, totally yeah and then blunts like we didn't really talk about broadheads but like shooting a grouse and you're out there is really cool like oh yeah no i have we haven't talked about it at all not at all but that is i've got some great photos of that it's super tasty it's like it makes you confident because you shot something with your bow it gives uh -huh. you a little diversion yeah gives you a heart attack whenever they fly like <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like so loud but uh getting it taking a blunt with you is super important you can always throw one or two in your in your uh, backpack if you want you know mm -hmm. off your broadhead you'll have time grouse don't move too quick yeah uh, i'm a huge fan of the vpa thumper i tried a ton of these things judo points and straight blunts rubber blunts they all just kind of broke or didn't work but that vpa thumper it's just machined out of a single piece of steel mm -hmm. yeah it's that thing works i love yeah. those things so cool actually i think i will bring one of those and it'd be really fun to like shoot a grouse and then like eat it while you're out there exactly yeah oh, that's and, cool and trust me you throw that in your freeze-dried meals and you're super happy that you've got it dang yeah that sounds yeah cool. so it's kind of nice nice and then number of arrows guys take we're not going to talk about this before the season so i'm kind of going off script a little bit but guys always get nervous and they want to bring like a ton of different arrows and i guess if you're going in for a week that makes sense but if you're following that same 
thing we we're talking about, we we're doing three to four day trips max. Like you really mm-hmm. don't need more than four broadheads, arrows with broadheads. Yeah. Like I've got a five arrow quiver with one blunt and four broadheads. Okay. And you're fine. Um, yeah. You definitely want like a full dozen of arrows though, because you know, you always get one or two that don't true spin really well. You're probably going to break one or two uh, and you're going to need to use, leave one as a bear shaft so you can tune. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you're down to like, you know, seven, eight arrows. And yeah. if you wing two or three at an elk or break one or fall on your quiver, then you've only got one more quiver full, right? Like you really, it's not like a rifle where you can go find ammo. Like you have to custom build them or get the exact yeah. same. Even if someone builds them for you, they need to be the exact same length mm-hmm. by the same batch of arrows. So the spine is the same. Like you, yeah. Then you got to tune everything again too. So if you get a dozen also, then it can last for multiple trips probably. You can use the same arrows, same setup. You don't got to go through this entire process all over again. Yeah, and a lot of guys will even get two dozen just so they can use it for a full year if they really shoot a lot of things. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, don't don't freak out and try to take 10 arrows into the backcountry unless you're gone <laughs> for a week. Um it'd be a great problem to have if you shoot eight arrows at stuff and miss. Uh, yeah. Are there quivers that even fit that many arrows? That's, There's that sounds quivers like a lot. That fit uh tight spot has one that fits like nine i think that's a lot of arrows (laughs) yeah nine or ten there's guys that have this um and their their argument is or seven i think it is i think they're like i want two blunts and five broadheads um Mm -hmm. it's okay uh teach their own but yeah i don't think it's worth it because you're also torquing your bow with all that weight on the side yeah yeah that's just real annoying but cool yeah that's that's kind of it i mean there's still other stuff we haven't covered that's on the article but (laughs) we could make this two hours long yeah so after you choose your broadhead and put it like so for example you're building my arrows this weekend right i'm going to buy the broadhead probably the viper tricks and then when i twist them on do i basically just shoot them just start shooting them and see yeah. how how close they get you just put it right on and shoot it and then it's a good idea to take some of those blades and like you can put a sharpie mark on them be like those are my practice blades oh okay yeah and so you can use those all the time and then when you're going to hunt you can put in the good ones you maybe shoot them once maybe twice just to make sure they're this about the same yeah but uh, once you then, put them on, you got to like leave them on. Generally, yeah. 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 Right. It, okay. Unless you're not really worried about it because you're shooting within 50 yards. Yeah. So, oh, right. That's right. Not okay. that that's a magical distance. But that's like a good threshold. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And you can also sharpen them a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things I like about that Viper trick is they're all the edges are really straight on those. So it's pretty easy to resharpen them. Nice. I probably got to get one of those heavy duty, like serious rubber targets instead of my like cheap one. Cause probably that broadhead's probably just going to blow right through the one I got. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, and that's another thing I'd tell guys is like, those are two wrecks that I've tested tons of them and that I'm very confident in, but there are literally, oh, there's like 200 or 250 broadheads that are designed just for elk hunting. There's going to yeah. be thousands of these things. So there's plenty of guys that have killed them with other heads and like there's nothing wrong with those heads so don't look at me and be like ah these are only the two you wreck i'm like no these are the best i've found but there's you know 20 other heads that are 95 percent as good so nice cool uh, lots and lots of good wrecks but hopefully that gives guys like the and you too like the the gamut of why things fly like they do and why it's important to have different widths and materials and penetration and accuracy so they know what they're trading off 
Right. Yeah. And now I know why like the mechanical versus the broadhead. And yeah, this is, this is super informational. Now I want to plan a scouting trip to Idaho or Colorado. I almost slipped on that one. Uh, now I want to plan a scouting trip to someplace and then just shoot grouse like while I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, Josh, you could, you could tell everyone your unit in the state and uh, we'd edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man, I almost slipped on that one. I'm, I'm not sure if we should cut that part out, but. <laughs> no, well, grouse season almost always opens the same time as elk season. So it's, oh, again, okay. it's so a really cool thing because it gives you the opportunity to do it while you're up there. And yeah, yeah. Even if you don't get an elk, you've got something you kill, which is cool. Nice. So yeah. Cool. So that's, uh, that's broadheads. And I think that is it for the gear guide section. So we're oh. going back into i think we're talking nutrition next week and a bunch of food wrecks mm -hmm. and then going back into like tactics and strategy so okay cool so wow. guys that really just want to hunt yeah we are getting on the way with the hunt elk in 2020 series we did a bunch on planning next uh, this was the last one for all the gear stuff and then on the website it says training tuning practice elk strategy and tactics coming up but uh yeah i got a lot to fit in before the season yeah. And we hit, you know, we're just doing this compressed to try to get you up to speed. And you and I have had a trillion other conversations about other gear mm -hmm. come back for the other stuff. Cause I know a few guys have been like, what about range finders? What about binos? What about quivers? What about, you know, like just trillions of things. Yeah. Like, next season, next season, next season. We'll, <laughs> we'll come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> just drop me a note. If you care now, Josh does the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so awesome. fun times. Cool. Well guys, as always, if you're, if you love this, you're digging it. Um, help me out by going to the website, checking things out, uh, or just, uh, like, and subscribing, subscribing is the best thing you can do to help the podcast. So we appreciate everybody who does. Yeah. And then leave a review rate. And then you got questions, email Baxter or sign up for the newsletter. And then, uh, you can get one email a week with all the latest updates and, and findings. Yeah. Now that we're doing podcasts and videos and all this other stuff, there's, I just do one email. It gets it all to folks. They don't have to go check it all different spots. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty easy. But awesome. That is it. Cool.